Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of the freshly fallen snow and the gloriousness of your brilliant light that explodes upon um, that snow and reminds us of your glory. And uh, Father, you have uh, you are jealous for your glory. Um, you're jealous for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we think through beginning of Second Peter here and just under, seek to understand um, your heart for us through the words that are written down by Peter. Um, Father, I pray that you would help us to um, reevaluate our own lives and to be able to see as we begin this new year um, just the things that really matter most. And uh, Father, may, may our hearts be drawn in a, in, in a very um, forceful way um, back to you. And uh, Father, may, may you um, sift um, our motives and our desires. And uh, Father, may we um, come to understand the value proposition of knowing you. Uh, may we come to decide um, to pursue you um, more than anything else in our life, Father. And just help us kind of put some handles and some arms and around what does that look like in our lives and how does that manifest itself and far as you teach us like um, what it means to have a true knowledge of yourself and Jesus Christ Father I pray that you would um, give us clarity to why you've created us and what we're here for and um, just all the things that Father that um, tend to weigh in on the decisions in our lives And, and Father may you use this morning's time together to um, put a stake in the ground in each of our lives um, to be able to seek you with all of our heart. Uh, Father, may you fill us up um, with everything that you have um, as a result of that decision. Father, may that decision go before us and may it actually um, cause us to make different decisions in our lives that honor you and please you. Father, may that journey um, begin today in our lives. And uh, Father, may that you may you uh, be glorified as a result of that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. We, uh, if you would open up your Bibles to um, 2 Peter. Um, last week was our first week in getting going with uh, 2 Peter, and uh, I know because we have a, um, uh, a membership class, I know there's a number of people in that class also um, that's happening this week for the next, I think, three or four weeks, too. Um, but uh, we have chosen to title um, this book um, kind of with this theme, Remembering Truth When It Really Counts. And um, having it, uh, the book itself, kind of be a primer against false teaching, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, this morning. Because we didn't quite complete that last week, I, I wanted to um, have you turn to Second Peter chapter three um, and have somebody read verses one and two, if you would. Second Peter three one and two. Now the second letter. 
Pearson by way of reminder visions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through you. Okay, so the, the, the huge theme that weaves itself throughout all of Second Peter is this theme of remembering. I challenge you to remember. Look at chapter 1, verse uh, um, 12. He says, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, uh, though even you already know them and have been established in the truth that is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir up by way of reminder um, of these things. Verse 15, That I will be diligent any time after my departure that you may call these things to mind. So it's this process that Peter is using. And think, think it... Think back to what we talked about last week. I mean, Peter's probably in Rome. He's already written this first letter. He's saying, I'm writing this second letter to you to remind you of all the things that the prophets have spoken, all the things that you heard from Christ, all the things that you heard from us as his apostles, and all the things that you've heard from me. I want you to remind you of these things because like, um, difficult times are going to come. Like, like, there is going to be an onslaught by our adversary within the church and I want I want to give you the resources to be able to understand um, these things and so this is kind of um, what he's trying to uh, build into us in this objective so the learning objective for all of second Peter it's not in your notes okay but it is to remember two things. Remember the words spoken beforehand to be able to guard uh, our church against false teaching. And number two is as we understand uh, three things, our faith, our scriptures, and our promise, okay, we will then be able to discern who our adversaries are. So it's, it's not out like looking for the adversaries. It's like uh, grounding ourselves in the scriptures and in the promise in our faith. And as we do that, you know, then we will be able to discern correctly like what's coming, who's speaking things that are not true and be able to call them on the table for those things. Or even our own lives, just internally, like have the ability to discern, um, uh, have a biblical worldview and be able to sense when things are out of sorts in, in like how I'm thinking about something or like like this situation or the circumstance or maybe this relationship. Like, I, give me the ability to be able to, I'll, I'll use the words, you know, like sniff out <laughs> like when I, things aren't in alignment with God's, God's um, purposes in my life and what he says. Make sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, so then um, last week we looked at uh, the introduction uh, of the book. Nathan went through that. And so the rest of the book really are these four things that I just mentioned, which is that we would be able to guard against false teaching by, first of all, which we're going to start into today, and have a three-week study on um, understanding uh, our faith. We're going to look at these three things. First and foremost is our quest. Second, our journey. And third, the results that we want to be able to see as a result of doing the right things. So if we want these results, like what are we doing in order to achieve those results? And how do those results please God? So that's the framework for um, these, these um, first kind of ten verses, if you would. And then the second part to guarding against false teaching, besides understanding our faith, is understanding our scriptures. And then the third part is understanding um, our promise. And as a result, then we'll understand our adversaries. Make sense? As a framework? Yep. Okay, good. 
Um, so I've broken today's time, or part one of this uh, series on Back to the Basics, um, uh, into um, these three parts. So our quest to know God um, in verses 2b through 4. Um, second, our journey to become more like Him as that manifests itself in our lives. And then third, um, our results to achieve success. And success here is defined by how God um, defines success. Because that's how we're going to move into this, okay? So, probably, in my mind, like one of the most important uh, times of teaching that I've, I, I, I remember will be this morning. So, I hope that um, I can do it justice um, on this first part from the standpoint of our quest to know God. Um, that's my prayer this morning. And so when we think about like um, uh, our, our learning objective for today as part one, okay, on the second page that you have there, um, you'll see uh, this, which is to become passionately consumed with knowing God, which will provide us with all we need. There's a lot. There's a, some loaded words here, um, and I want to talk about them for a second. So to become passionately consumed with knowing God, and according to Peter, at least that like this will provide us, give us the um, undergirding, the foundation, the framework, the levers in our lives um, to provide us with all we need. So first of all, we have to kind of go into it with a trust factor that says, like, that's, that's true. It's true. But hopefully in today, I'm going to try to give us some, some of the ammunition, let's call it, that um, help us kind of move towards this being passionately consumed with. And what does it mean to know God? Like, what does that process look like in our, in our lives? And... Um, I think, you know, we all are consumed with certain things in our lives, some things, yeah, and sometimes we get our priorities out of, out of whack, and we get, you know, busy doing this or busy doing that. And I, um, at the beginning of a new year, I, I, I just want to call us back, because Peter calls us back, to, to, to the one thing that's most important, which is to know God. So let I want to talk more about that in our initial times together. Any questions on that? Makes sense? Passionately consumed with knowing God. And if we do that, according to Peter at least, we'll see that that will provide us with all we need in our life. Um, That's the premise. Okay? Makes sense? Any thoughts or comments? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, when you think of yes. Nothing else but yeah. their goals. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to talk more about how, how that actually, I think, can manifest itself in our lives. Um, let's see. Uh, David, can you you want to read this for us? First Peter, grace and peace be multiplied to do us everything. All this by his own glory. And by these he has granted precious and magnificent, so that by them you might become partners of the divine name. Okay, so I want to break um, this portion up into four sections, 
And one of the sections has four sections, components, subcomponents. Okay. So first of all, our passion he, we find at the very end of verse two: um, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our and of Jesus our Lord. Our passion. Second is um, God's sufficiency, seeing to it that He is. Um, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So God's sufficiency. The The third is God's purpose. He says, whenever you see the words in order that, that's kind of a a purpose statement, okay? So in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, Okay? And last but not least, our part. Our part. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So once again, our passion starts with that. Second, God's sufficiency. And, that, and we'll break that into four components today. Third is His purpose for us, that we might become partakers of the divine nature. What does that look like and mean? Okay? And then fourth, our part which is having escaped the world, the corruption in the world that, it, uh, that is in the world by lust. Okay? Make sense? Yep. Right, good. So, back to basics. I want to read to you um, just a little article from Charles Swindoll about Vince Lombardi. You might have heard it before. It's called Back to Basics. Uh, the late football strategist Vince Lombardi was a fanatic about fundamentals. Those who played under his leadership often spoke of his intensity, his drive, his endless enthusiasm for the guts of the game. Time and time again, he would come back to the basic techniques of blocking and tackling. On one occasion, though, his Green Bay Packers lost to an inferior uh, squad. It was bad enough to lose, but to lose to that team, probably the Bears, (laughs) was absolutely inexcusable. Coach Lombardi called the practice that the, the very next morning. The men sat silently, looking more like whipped puppies than a team of champions. They had no idea what to expect from the man that they feared the most. <clears throat> Grinning his teeth and staring holes through one athlete after another, Lombardi began slowly. Okay, we go back to the basics this morning. Holding a football high enough for all of them to see, he continued to yell, Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> how, how basic can you get? He's got guys sitting there who, who have been playing on the gridiron for 15 to 20 years, who know the offensive and defensive plays better than they know their kids' names. He introduces them to a football. That's like saying, maestro, here's your baton. <laughs> or a librarian, this is a book. You know, or a marine, that's a rifle. Or mother, you know, this is a skillet. Talk about the obvious. Um, Why in the world would a seasoned coach talk to professional athletes like that? Well, apparently it worked, for coaches don't lead their teams to three consecutive uh, world championships all the time. But how? Lombardi operated on a simple philosophy. He believed that excellence could be achieved by perfecting the basics of the sport. Razzle-dazzle, crowd-pleasing, risk-taking plays would fill a stadium for a while and even win some games occasionally. But in the final analysis, the consistent winners would be the teams that played smart, heads-up, hard-nosed football. His strategy, know your position. Learn how to do it right. Then do it with all your might. So again, know your position. 
learn how to do it right excellently, and, and do it right, and then learn how to do it with all your might excellently. That was the simple plan. Put uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, on the map before Lombardi's advent. It was a frozen whistle stop between Oshkosh and Iceland. I like that. <laughs> Some would still think it is. <laughs> um, but back to basics. Um, you know, why did I share that? Because I think I think this topic is the same for believers in Christ, um, knowing our God. It's so basic. But how many of us are intentionally, with written down goals, in hot pursuit of knowing our God? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, How are grace and peace multiplied to us in our lives? How are grace and peace? Last week we looked at what is grace and what is peace. But how are they multiplied to us in our lives? Okay, Through the knowledge of God. So it literally is like that's the leading thing, right? It's not grace and peace. It's like if you want grace and peace, like this is how you get it, right? So it's through the knowledge. And by the way, different translations have, and you look at, I think it's verse 4. No, 3. Three Verse 3 has knowledge of God, and it says true knowledge of God. What does yours say? Does anybody have a different translation? Is there an adjective before that? True knowledge of God. New American says true, true in verse 3. doesn't say true in the beginning. Um, some other translations actually say rich knowledge of God. Interesting. Um, so what is that? What, what does it mean? What is it? Why? Why that adjective? I mean, versus just a knowledge of God. What, what is? What's that? What's going on there? As far as what? What is that all about? That there's uh, more. It's more than just head knowledge. It's uh, full knowledge of God would be, you know, and I don't always like to throw the word experiential, mm-hmm. but no. but but yes, you it know, not, you, you've taken what's in your head mm-hmm. and you. It, it's part of. Your everyday, yeah. you know, your experience and living. Yeah. <laughs> that his, the knowledge is applied to that. Right, exactly. So it is literally um, an applied knowledge. It's a process of like making application of the things you've no, you know, but it, you can't make application of unless you know. <laughs> so it's 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 a component of all together, right? Um, so this grace and peace only come through the knowledge of Jesus of God and Jesus our Lord. Um, this this word knowledge. Go ahead, David. There's none. The, 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 if you flip this on its back, it's that's basically what it's saying, right? It's saying like, unless you know God, you can't really ever experience grace and peace because He's the author of grace and peace in our lives. He's the author of it. Um, he's the originator of it. Um, and so this concept of um, uh, be multiplied to you is the idea of like as you are growing in your knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, grace and peace are being multiplied. So it's like this process as as this is happening, this is occurring. Like this is happening, this is occurring. And so it's not like it got done and like I know God. Like it's like the, a, a process by which grace and peace are being multiplied in my soul. Um, so, um, 
knowledge here conveys the idea of a full, rich, thorough knowledge that involves a degree of personal or intimate understanding of a particular subject. Intimate understanding of a particular subject. By the way, this word knowledge um, of our Lord Jesus Christ, just write down these verses in just in Second Peter that he uses this. It's in um, verse 2 here in chapter 1, verse 3 in chapter 1. He uses it in... Um, uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, Not, or, nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about by the knowledge of the Lord and, and, and Savior Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the very book, it's like the bookend of, of the book itself, verse 18, he says, like, like if you don't want to be... Um, fall from your steadfastness, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like, that's how you keep from losing your steadfastness. Um, So this becomes a really important thing to understand what knowledge means. Let's turn to... We're going to do a lot of moving around in the Scriptures today, so what you want to do is, like, keep your finger in... in, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, and then with your other finger, kind of keep going where we're going, okay? We're going to look at um, Jeremiah uh, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> at the beginning of almost every year now, I read this, this, these two verses and meditate on them. Um, would somebody read those? Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he hands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. Okay, so if our goal in our life is to please God, and according to this verse at least, like, delight the Lord, what, what, what is it that should be kind of front and center as the, the thing that we should be focused on in our life? I mean, because it, like, if we're doing that, then all these other things will kind of come along the way. What does he say? What's the thing that's, that, that delights the Lord? That you understand and know me. So, um, that you understand and know me. So in 2000, October 4th, 2000, um, um, I came face to face with this verse. My birthday in 2000. And... Um, Came to came to grips with the fact that, like, like, like I know a lot about the scriptures and I know a lot about teaching and those other things, but like, is my first pursuit like to know God? And I had to come to grips at the age of forty four that I I would have to say like that's not my first pursuit in my life. I had other pursuits. And like, what's wrong with this picture? I I love God, but I probably don't love Him the way I could because I don't know Him in the depth that maybe I should. And so, you know, talking about staking a putting a stake down in a memorial stone, right? Is like that was a memorial stone for me. Is like I I choose this day to become a worshiper of God. I choose this day to know God in His glory. I, I, I'm going to figure out what that means in my life. I'm, I'm going to go back to basics. I'm, I'm going to make this 
my pursuit. <clears throat> and so that was that was my goal um, at that time was to. Uh, um, I, I didn't know where this was going to lead me necessarily personally, but but I knew based upon the scriptures that this was the right thing to be pursued of, and. Um, and I'll talk more as we go along as to some of the things I've learned through this journey, personally. <coughs> that in boasts first of this, that he understands and knows me. Understands and knows me. Um, there's a man in the scriptures that I think extremely highly of. Not too much is spoken of him. But if you would turn to Genesis chapter 5, would somebody read verses 21 through 24? Of sixty-five years, he heard Methuselah walk with God after he fathered Methuselah three hundred years' daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were three hundred years. Walk with God by Tokam. When Methuselah that's, did, that's good. Was that yep. Okay. See what happens when you become a father? <laughs> sixty-five years later, he has Methuselah. Then he walked with God for three hundred years. <laughs> uh, how true is that, right? Um, but keep in mind, you know, the average lifespan at this point in time in, in the world was a thousand years. So Enoch was cut short by thirty, you know, a third, you know, of his life. Um, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter eleven, um, verse five. Would somebody read that for us? Eleven five. Anybody? So that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken. Okay. So he he was taken up because he pleased God. Um, Oh, oh, to learn how to walk with God. Um, there's no greater thing in, in our lives. Enoch's my hero. Um, I don't know too much about him. But he'll be um, one of the first ones that I go and talk to when I get to heaven. I, I just want to understand what that looked like, you know, from his perspective. You know, all of a sudden you're here today and like, now I'm there. <laughs> I'm with God. Um what an amazing thing. Um, but uh, he didn't miss a beat. He was just continued walking. <laughs> um, walked right into eternity. So, um, I want to be like Enoch. You know, um, when we finish our lives, the question isn't going to be about the things that we, you know, were in hot pursuit of usually. Um, the question will be like, like what, what do I want to be known for? You know what? What? What is it? What's the legacy I want to leave behind? You know, and um, you know I want to leave behind that I that I knew God and walked with Him. That's it's just that simple, it's just that simple. And I encouraged others to to do the same. So the highest calling for mankind is to know God, and in order to do that, we must learn how to understand, fear, please, and worship God. I could spend four weeks on each of those words um, and how they contribute to this process of knowing God. In order to do that, we must acquire and cultivate and nurture what I'm calling a high view of God, which only comes, which I'll say, from a high view of scriptures, from the scriptures. Um, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Get on these verses. If you get there first, just start reading. Says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you build for me? 
where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. All these things came in being, declares the Lord. One, I will look to him who is humble and kind of spirit. And so what does it mean to tremble at his word? Like, give me an operational statement as to defining what that means. What is that? What does it mean to tremble at my word? The closest I could come to is reading it and just... I mean, I've done it, and I'm like, oh my, you really... I mean, I know that because I've... Ex- I'm just, you tremble, yeah. <laughs> because you, you realize it. Yeah. You, you feel it, you know it, and, and it's like, oh my, oh. And like Whoa. Same, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Conviction. Conviction. Yeah, conviction. Oh, well, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, have you ever trembled with excitement? Yeah. That's oh. another, another whole dimension, isn't it? Right. Um, so I think it's it's all those things. You know, tremble. I think is the idea of like hold it in really high esteem, like really high esteem, like in a high place. Yeah, yeah. The truth to excitement to all of the pieces. Yeah, very much so. But God's saying here very clearly, like I choose those kind of people to commune with. To be intimate with people who have, who are contrite in spirit, those who um, uh, are humble, and those who um, tremble at my word. That's those are the people I, that I choose willingly to be able to go and you know meet meet where they're at. Um, <clears throat> so why should we desire to know God? Um, we're going to go through these quickly, but I th- I could spend. A boatload of time on each one of them. There's 12 of them. There's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> okay, uh, Isaiah 6:5 to expose uh, the truth about us. To expose the truth about us. Isaiah um, has come face to face with the holy, and um, he uh, sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. Thank you, high and lofty. And exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and the seraphim are um, ministering. Um, and uh, one of them calls out, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the the, the whole foundations tremble. Back to this, you know, tremble, um, shaken. Um, and uh, then he says, "Woe is me, for I'm." Ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So it's only when we understand the character uh, and the glory of God um, do we come face to face with our own depravity and our own sinfulness. And so um, knowing God like opens the kimono in our lives about the truth of who we really are. Like, like. <coughs> helps us face that and stare it down and desire to want to change. So, exposes the truth about us. It helps us review the world properly. View the world properly. Um, won't read this one, but Nebuchadnezzar, remember, when he his eyes lifted up and he saw the king of glory, like, he acknowledged, even in his, like, fallen state, you know, of what God had banished him to, his ability to be able to think rightly only came from him seeing God for who he was. 
and acknowledging who he was in that in that in that setting. Um, and so I think one of the key things about knowing God is like like what are the colored glasses that I look at life through? Like I'll interpret those completely wrong if I don't know God because I'm coming at it from an interpretation of everything without God. And that's true for everything in our life. Like 180 degree difference almost all the time. Um, either from our natural way of thinking to what's spiritual in nature. View the world properly. Third is to trust Him and be con- stronger in conflict and trials. Trust Him and be stronger in conflict and trials. Um, let's take a look at Daniel. Um, by the way, I mean, I just don't have time to go through all these verses, but I really encourage you to go back and go through the verse, some of the ver- verses we might not quite hit. Um, the time here that Daniel's prophesying is in the right around the end of the first half of the tribulation period yet to come. And he says in, in Daniel chapter 11, verses 32 and 33, um, somebody will read those verses. This is, uh, he's talking about um, that time. Go ahead. By smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly to heaven. People who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many, yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Okay, so th- when when pressure comes, and it's interesting because Michael's going to talk about this today, is, is, is pressure. Like what does pressure do in our lives? Well, pressure for those who know their God actually causes them to like stand and deliver, like like and teach other people well, and like help them lead them through that time. Like it it helps them frame what really is going on, and that you know according to this it says like like uh, those who know their God will display strength, and they'll take proactive action. It's like in the Old Testament, like those people knew what to do when the time came. They weren't surprised. Um, and it says they'll give insight to many other people. They'll be able to explain what's happening well um, and trust Him in conflict and trials. To gain understanding, discernment, and wisdom, um, could do three weeks on this one, <laughs> um, which is like, you know. Solomon, the wisest man who lives, says, like, how do I gain understanding? How do I gain um, discernment? How do I gain wisdom? It's through the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So am I starting my whole journey here with a framework that says, like, I need to understand how to fear God, how to know Him. Um, I need to understand, like, when I think about God in my life, like, is he where 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 do I where do I start from? Is he is he high and lifted up, or is it like I don't think very highly of him? You know, that's going to really affect my decisions in my life. Um, to know the way, truth, and experience abundant life, experience abundant life. He says, "I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life." Um, so. The, the point there is like I am the origin, I'm the giver, I'm the sustainer, I'm I'm of all those things. I, I am that one. Um, to bear much fruit. Let's turn to John chapter fifteen. John chapter fifteen. 
Somebody want to read verses 4 and 8? Abide in me as the branch cannot be by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can eight, Verse 8, I'm sorry. By this my Father abide, that you bear much fruit, and prove to me my disciples. To go prove to be my disciples. So, knowing God prove, uh, and we bear fruit, we prove that we are His disciples. But more importantly, up above here is like that um, when we know God, we will bear fruit. And he says, much fruit. So the more we are grafted into him and, and knowing him, um, abiding in him is the words that are used here. Um, the concept there is just communing with, communing with, that we will bear much fruit. Much fruit. Um, interesting enough, uh, take a look at verse 10 also. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide with me, abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, what does it mean to abide in His love? Um, I suggest that is intimacy. It is intimacy. Like, like He says, I want you to have an intimate relationship with Me in the same way, this is, this is crazy, right? In the same way that the second person and the first person of the Godhead dwell in intimacy. Like I, I want you to experience and taste that. Like that's worth everything. Is his point? And then the next verse is to be fulfilled and make our joy complete. He says, "These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full, may be made complete. That your joy would be like on steroids, running over, like really great, like phenomenal um, in, in your life." So. It says to me, like knowing God, an outcome of that is that our joy is complete. Our joy is complete. Um, this, uh, he, in the book of Hebrews, he talks about this being the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, it is a fruit of the discipline process when we lean fully into God. The next one is to usher ourselves into the spiritual dimensions. Knowing God ushers ourselves into spiritual dimensions. Um, it's important for us to understand, like, when we're looking at something, how do we frame it? You know, one of the key things I teach people is, like, like where is God in all of this situation? That automatically takes me to a place of, like, oh, oh, I wasn't taking that into consideration just now. <laughs> like, I need to think about that. That's going to change how I think about this issue, possibly. So... Um, it ushers ourselves into that spiritual dimension. Next is it motivates us to become like Him. Motivates us to become like Him. First Peter we read, Dave, Dave did such a great job in that passage. Which he says, like, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord our God. Um, motivates us to do that. And then the last one here that I have written down, at least, is to praise, to worship, and give Him glory. Praise, worship, and give Him glory. Um, let's turn to Revelation chapter um, 1. We'll just fly through a number of verses here in, in Revelation, but it gives us a sense of this whole frame, this whole value proposition. Uh, somebody want to read verses 1, 5, and 6? Yep. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first and the ruler of kings on earth, Him who loves us and has freed us to His God and Father, so we've been made priests to His God and Father. It says like we—that's our—that's our—that's 
what we do. We are to be that. Um, that's the, where he's taking us. Um, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not fully. Is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who is ever and ever and will cast their crowns before the... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You, God, thanks, and because of your, of your will, they existed and were created. Amen. Um, chapter 7, verse 10. Okay, so this outpouring of praise um, just goes throughout the whole book here. Um, chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and were God saying, We give thanks. Thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, power, and have begun. Amen. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. God and the Son of the Lamb. Great and amazing are you, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are you. God, fear, O Lord, and Lord of all nations will come and worship. In chapter 19, he says in verse 1, And after these things I heard it was a loud voice of great and of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And then verse 3 again, a second time they said, Hallelujah. Um, and then verse 4, And the twenty-four elders and the um, four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, and you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of many peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, God the Almighty, reigns. Um, so learning the language of worship from these scenes in heaven where the angels are already in this hot pursuit and learning like what happens there and understanding that um, gives us a, a different framework from the standpoint of what's going on here. You know, so many times we, we're so caught up in here we forget about there, or we forget about the presence of God. And so, you know, the, uh, desiring to, uh, knowing God gives us an ability to praise and worship and give Him glory, um, even in the midst of great challenge here. Um, those things can be done in parallel at the same time as here. Any thoughts or comments around those? I mean, it just gives you a sense of like, oh my goodness, you know, um, I'm not sure any of these necessarily were brand new or th- to you, but to remember them in this context, I think, is like a re- it was really helpful for me personally. Any thoughts or comments? Yeah, Dave. Well, I, I guess when I look at you know, what's he, the outcomes, it's <coughs> trust, it's wisdom, it's courage, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, you just go down life. It's, it's, yeah. So that is. That's what it looks like. How to's, how do you multiply? Amen. And so my question for you, it was my question for myself, right, is like, um, what am I obsessed with? Like, what is the passion of my life? Um, 
you know, I think about John with the Ephesian church, right? He said, like, you guys are doing a bunch of good things, you know, but, like, have you lost your first love? And I challenge you to repent of that. Challenge you to repent of that. Go back and revisit, like, how that felt and what that was like. Um, secondly, like, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 says, like, like, Paul says to the Corinthian church, like, I'm really concerned for you. Like, you've become deceived. You've been in pursuit of things that don't matter anymore. Like, I want to call you back to, to the thing that matters most. Um, Solomon said that wisdom begins with the knowledge, fear, and understanding of the Holy One. And that nothing in this life, nothing can compete with that intrinsic value in our life. Nothing can compete. You know, I think just sometimes we just need each other to remind ourselves of these things. Uh, I do. Um, and I just want to be that person today with, uh, with each of us today. Um, we are exhorted by Paul and Peter to uh, know him. To know him. Um, take a look at one of the handouts I gave you. It's, uh, it's a... It's a group of ten books. These were the first ten books I read in this pursuit. Doesn't mean you have to read them in this order or these specific ones, but these were very helpful for me personally. Um, and uh, when I think about intimacy with the Almighty, um, some of the things I have chosen to write down over the years um, are my reflections on my intimacy with the Almighty. Um, but Charles Swindoll wrote this book, and he starts off with this as the introduction here. He says, The Tyranny of the Urgent. One pastor said, Nobody around me knows this, but I'm operating on fumes. I'm lonely, I'm hollow, I'm shallow, I'm enslaved to a schedule that never lets up. The core issue is lack of intimacy. Um, the core problem is an absence of intimacy with the Almighty. Involvements, yes but not intimacy. Activities and programs are plenty, but not intimacy. Inner satisfaction is neither complicated nor mystical, but it does call for some radical changes, difficult changes, unpopular changes, lifestyle changes, essential changes in the secret places of our hearts. Some of God's best truths, like priceless treasures, are hidden in the depths that most folks never take the time to mine out. We've become a people who look more like a herd of cattle in a stampede than a flock of God besides green pastures and still waters. We must learn anew to think deeply, to worship meaningfully, to meditate unhurriedly. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for a greater number of deep people who know their God. No one is ready to take the depths on unless he or she is fed up with the superficial. Paul says that I may know him. That I may know him. <clears throat> well, that takes us into taking a look at um, seeing his divine power has granted us. So as we look at his sufficiency, his power, um, any spiritual sufficiency that believers have is no power of ourselves. It's de derived from His divine power. Um, and this divine power is the same power which resurrected Christ. 
Um, turn with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, <coughs> verse four. Somebody read that. Okay, so he says like his power, his resurrection power is like available to us to help us, quote, live with him. It's interesting here, he doesn't necessarily say um, live for him. Because I think the live for him comes from the living with him. That makes sense to you. His resurrection power is available for us to live with him. Of which then living for him will be just an appropriate response. Um, as we think about this, um, this divine power enables us to accomplish spiritual things we cannot even imagine. You know, end of uh, chapter three of uh, of Ephesians, he says, you know, not to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think, according to him who works within us and in the church. You know, be honor and glory and majesty and power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if we believe like he's capable. You know, I think of uh, Philippians um, 4, verse 13, right? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is that resurrection power that he has put at our disposal. The question is not, um, are, are we tapping into it? The question is, are we tapping, are we, are we communing with God? And therefore, we will have that at our fingertips um, when we need it. So his power, seeing his divine power has granted to us... Um, this granted to us is the tense, this uh, perfect passive participle, meaning it's, it happened back here and has ongoing results. That, so that divine power has granted to us for ongoing uh, decision-making in our lives, um, uh, that resurrection power. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, his provision, God's provision. Everything, last time I looked, means everything. all. <laughs> everything, right. Um, it, and what he, when he says like life here, he's he's talking about both the quantity of life and the quality of life. Both b- both of these are are part of what he's trying to communicate when he says everything pertaining to life and godliness. Okay, godliness here encompass, encompasses two dimensions. Um, and by the way, um, I'm going to get more into godliness next week because it's one of the virtues that he says like like focus on these. These, these things right here, and you're, you'll be fine. So I want to talk about those things next week. But if you take a look at this, um, this one um, handout I gave you, um, it's six pages. I encourage you, not now, but between now and next week, to read this in preparation for next week on one of those virtues, which is godliness. And so godliness is really like, this will frame it out and give you a sense of it, okay? But godliness really is about, like, two things. It's about, like, focusing um, our, our, our centeredness on, on, uh, on Christ and God and worship, and then also, like, the ramifications of the outcomes of that is that we would want to please Him in our life as we go through our life. So that's what um, uh, he means by godliness, um, and so this spirit-enabling um, resurrection power um, gives us the ability in our lives to, to live God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-enabling lives for, that please Him. That's, 
that's like what I want to do. I want to. That should be my. That's my goal in my life. Um, as a result of that, so his his provision, so his power and his provision, and what we see here is his procurement. He says through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, his procurement. So how did he procure this for us? Um, the question I ask here is like, I often wonder like times in my life, I can mark them like why I'm not experiencing the spiritual victory that I want to experience in my life. Like I'll, I'll see defeat like right, you know, staring me front and center. I'll see lack of um, contributions to the kingdom. I'll see like um, my joy is not complete. Um, these kind of things in my life, and I, you know, I ask myself, like, why am I, why is that happening? Um, and it's because we can and will experience that divine power and His provision only through the true knowledge of Him. And that's Jesus. Um, so I want to talk about like the process by which God does this in our life. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Corinthians three, eighteen. Second Corinthians three, eighteen. This is one of the most powerful verses I think there is. Second um, Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. Somebody got that? Okay, so it is the process of of uh, it is the process of of uh, beholding God that He actually um, uh, communicates Himself to us, and what this says is like um, that He is doing this transforming into the same image, the same image of His Son. Okay, He says He's doing it from glory to glory. Glory to glory actually is from instance to instance, from encounter to encounter. And so as we are in the presence of God, beholding Him through the Scriptures, the Scriptures and the Spirit of God, where this transformation, it says, occurs, actually is in the process of changing our minds, changing like how we think. And so we would become then more like Christ. So this doesn't happen. Any, uh, this is how God does this. It's as we spend the time with the Word of God, as uh, James talks about, it, right? He says, like, like that beholding, that mirroring, uh, that's happening with the Word of God in our life. So that means that the Scriptures and our time with Him are more important than anything else, from the standpoint of like, like changing us, causing us to think differently in our life become more like him. And so when he says like through true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, glory here refers to his character. It's the summation or the aggregation of all of the attributes of his character into um, what appears to us to be like white hot light. Um, that's his glory. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can make it more than it is. Nothing can can uh, change that. Um, he doesn't get more glorious over time. If he does, it's because we just 
get to know Him better over time. His glory is, is never changes. And excellence here is talking about, as a man, His glory is as deity, His excellence is as man, like He lived an excellent life, a perfect life. Okay? So it's those two character qualities, He says here, that are the parts of us understanding Him in our life. His procurement. That's how He procures this in our life. Beholding His glory. So His sufficiency, it says, for by these He has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. Um, the, he, he, when He says by these, He's referring back to what? His glory and His excellence. His character. So by His character, He's saying, I have granted to you precious and magnificent promises. And these are to us as believers. Okay? They're to us as believers. And he says, when he says precious and magnificent, he's talking about their greatness, like, like their value. Like, like these are priceless gifts. They're, they're precious. They're immeasurably priceless. And so when we think about the scriptures, like, do we have that high view of God's word in our life? Like, immeasurably priceless is how God describes His Word. Like, do I think so highly of that also? Am I that wrapped up in, like, knowing it? My goodness. Um, And He says these promises, these promises are like His um, self-made obligations to us. Like, He's, like, laid them down as His promises. In your life, like, what, what are... What are some key promises that you hold on to? I mean, what, what just comes to your mind really quickly? Which all things together for His good and His and pleasure. What else? You began a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ, Jesus. What else? Never leave you, never forsake you. Yeah. He, he is an anchor for our soul, right? Yeah, finding us. Final, done. Yet it is with that that our human nature opposite this mind nature which will get constantly pushing against that where it's now all of a sudden uh, in other words I don't have all of it. in other words when it says all things life and God is his divine power uh, this image and it's a silly image I have is sort of like here I am and yet at salvation got it I have it all mm-hmm. yet this human nature in me is pushing against just giving mm-hmm. me just a little space only but mm-hmm. I already have it mm-hmm. And this is this, so then how do I multiply it? How do I... It, Appropriate it. it, it, yeah. it, it, it so there, it's already secure. Mm. This is Peter's reminder. It's kind of how I'm, I'm looking at this. As from this knowledge, mm. now all of a sudden, I already had it. Lost any of it. Why do I keep asking for more? Amen. I mean, just our study in community groups last week on Ephesians 1 showed us that, right? You know, all the... All this is set aside for us in the spiritual dimension of our lives and world. So, yeah, it's all of his blessings for life and godliness. In, in, in the motive of the book, so therefore, here, there's a different, let me tell you more about knowledge. You don't have the whole story. Or, yeah. I just see this spirit. Just go back to the base. Mm. Remember this one thing. His calling final, essential. Mm. It's calling to salvation. Secure, once yeah. for all. Yeah. Amen. As a small believer, mm-hmm. but yet that's the place. Exact where, same thing you where need. You yeah. Get out of those yeah. places. Now you're in a do loop, right? You're just yeah. like 
you're going around and around till you awaken to see the, re so, the escape valve, right? So Which no is where to, you are. Yeah, absolutely. And if you take a look at the hand, the other handout I gave you, we spent some time in our community group. Um, we actually have here 26 specific promises that God gave us in that time in our community group. So I wrote them down and I give them to you to start maybe your own um, journal or notebook um, to refer to when life gets hard or opportunities present themselves to, to lean fully into God's word. And, 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 I, and I just said here, I can't begin this whole thing without being reminded of the hymn below in the stanza that says, like, standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. And so I hope these can minister to your soul, and I hope you just take these. If anybody wants a soft copy of this, I can send it to you to be able to create your own and continue to build on your own. Um, I'd be glad to send that to you. Um, so our passion, um, our, uh, um, our passion, um, our God's sufficiency, um, and then we've looked at these different dimensions here. Um, including his promises. Um, so I want to look at God's purpose. He says here, in order that you might become partakers of the divine nature. This is to become more like Christ. So um, he's saying these promises and God's character are the, are the components that are going to help us become partakers of the divine nature. So... Um, in order that by them is the implication here is that through inheriting and acting on these promises, we will increasingly, so to speak, become partakers. Um, this word partakers is to share with or have fellowship with or, or to be in partnership with. It's kind of the same word like he, he uses when he talks about like... Or the same root word that he uses when he talks about being in in business with a non-believer. You know, you're in partnership, shared. You know, uh, with them. Um, and he says of the divine nature. So we we are partners in the very life that belongs to God, the very life that belongs to God. Um, take a look at Colossians three, uh, verse three. Colossians three, verse three. He says. Um, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed in, with Him in glory. Um, so he, he calls Christ our life, our very life. So um, we, we experience abundant life um, when we um, uh, are, are going through and being transformed and changed. Um, and so um, we might become partakers of of the divine nature. So God's purpose, um, also want to look at um, uh, this last part. And I don't, so I know I've left it to the very end, but stay with me because this last point is the most important point as it pertains to how do you operationalize this in your life. Okay? So the last part is our part. He says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the corruption that is the world, this, this word corruption is like, it's, it's crazy, but it's like, it, like something that's decomposing body, uh, an organism of some kind. And it like stinks to high heavens. It's been there for days and days. He calls this, that's the word corruption. And he says like, having escaped this putrid, smelly world, okay, uh, 
that is in the world by lust. So by lust is this like um, this uh, this the world's moral decomposition is driven by sinful lusts and evil desires. So we know that from our our uh, um, study in 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 Ephesians and in Colossians that this is something that characterizes our old life, not our new life. But yet, like we find ourselves, you know, garbage hopping, jumping, you know, looking for food in all the wrong places. And so the point here is like this: the, these thirstings are created by God. They're, they're created by God. These lusting, these desires, they're created by God. The question isn't like, the question isn't like where. Sorry, the question isn't like where is that our lustings or thirstings wrong? The question is, um, like, where are we choosing to be fulfilled with those lusts and desires? And 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 C.S. Lewis says, like, our thirstings aren't aren't bad or or not good enough. They're they're they're, they're just placed in the wrong place. And like, we we should. We should be so thirst, thirsty for God and God alone um, and, and allow that then to fulfill us instead of these thirstings that used to be part of our, our old life. And, and so this is the key thing here, is having escaped. The, the inference here is that only by our intentional decisions to say no to sin, which is our natural craving, only by doing that can we become partakers of the divine nature? And so, actually, take this verse and flip it around. If you t- take a look at it. He says, in so many words, he's saying, like, by these, his glory and excellence, he has granted to us these precious and magnificent promises, so that when you are in the process of saying no to sin, you actually will be, be becoming more like Christ. Does that make sense? So it's when I understood like how this thing actually reads, like I don't get it when I read it, you know, the first time. But now I get it. Is like so my decision making process in my life like actually spurs my intimacy with God on, and therefore allows me to become more like Christ. If I'm if I'm giving in to sin, if I'm saying okay to it, or or dancing on the sidelines, or whatever the case may be, like like. It's directly proportional to how my intimacy with God is coming along and how closely I'm becoming more like a child of the king. Like, that's how this happens. Is like, I have a part in this process. Because he's already said, like, he's given us everything we need. So he's fulfilled his side. Now it's my turn to be able to say no to sin. And so, as we successfully choose the way of escape, we realize God's purpose for us, and last but not least, this actually appears to be the prerequisite to becoming more like Christ. Like, like, yeah, he's going to do it over time, but he's going to do it much faster when we say no to sin and we actually desire to want to become more like Christ. So there is a there is a fundamental active agent that this verse is calling out in our lives, which is to desire to want to be more like him and and to want to live for him and to lean fully into these all these verses. And the scriptures that give us everything we need to become more like Christ and be, have uh, take on the divine nature to be like Christ. And he, but he says, like, you have a part here too, which is to um, say no to sin in our life. 
And so just in last, in summary, as we passionately pursue knowing God through his precious and magnificent promises, and as we lean fully into the power of the resurrection, okay, he says here, we have everything we need to please God. Doesn't mean we're going to, but we have everything we need to please God. And then the last point would be, like, as we decide to run from the lusts of the world that corrupt and deceive our souls, and don't, don't, don't miss that, his point is, like, to paint this in a way that does, like, like, you don't want to be going back and eating garbage out of the garbage dump. Like, don't want to do that anymore. Okay? Know it for what it is. Don't be deceived. Okay? We will become more like Christ when we do that. Does that make sense? The flow, how that works? So I just want to encourage you in closing, we've, we've talked about our passion, we've talked about um, God's sufficiency, we've talked about His power, His, His provision, His procurement, um, and His promises. We've talked about God's purpose, which is that we would become more like Christ, a partaker of the divine nature. And last but not least, He gives us our part in the process, which is um, to want Him more than anything else, and therefore be able to say no to sin. It's not enough just to you know, say no to sin in our life. It really isn't. Um, there's a greater thirsting, and the greater thirsting is to know God and experience the outcome and the blessings of joy, peace, contentment, rest, all the pieces that Dave mentioned earlier. Um, those are the benefits of this journey, if you would. But I wanted to call your attention to the beginning of a year, like these things, and encourage you all the more. Um, to that end. Mick, can you close us in prayer? Father, we're so great fighter of relationship by that. You said you want and you're going to always be seeking. Amen. Have a great day. Oh, you're welcome. I have to chuckle that my resolve for this year is I got to come back to ABF. I'm like, I believe that this is what we're <laughs> Back to the basics, right? <laughs> Blocking and tackling. <laughs> I know. I agree. That's all I got to say. Fine. Now? Yes. Yeah. She was very, very sick with pneumonia in the hospital mm. for two weeks. And now she's back at the nursing home, mm. sitting up, doing eating. Doing it's amazing what home. health can bring oh, back. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah.